0: Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Jamf. Learn more about Jamf and Apple device management at Jamf, that's J A M F I T Slash Apple Insider. And Start Mail, start securing your email privacy today at startmail.com Slash AI. And Helix Sleep, get up to two hundred dollars off a new mattress and two free pillows at Helix Sleep Slash Apple Insider. And Express VPN, Get three extra months for free when you go to expressvpn.com slash appleinsider. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and joining me this week, my friend Wes
1: Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? It's pretty good, Stephen. Just listening to the dogs bark.
0: (laughs) I know. Listen, podcasting, I'm telling you, there's always noise. It's one of those, uh, you know, you bring an umbrella, it doesn't rain, you don't bring it, and it rains. If you try to podcast there's going to be some noise.
1: As long as uh, an airplane uh, engine doesn't fall into my front yard, I'll be okay.
0: Man, I saw that. Th- this is totally not in the notes are related, but I saw the clip. I think it was a United flight where the engine like blew up. I think so. Not a, not something you want to happen on any given day. But anyway, let's cover some rumors, man. Because Ming-Chi Kuo dropped years of rumors. Literally dropped rumors about the iPhone, quote, 13, 14, and 15. Basically saying the roadmap through 2023 your little details here and there for each line. So we're going to go through them and see what's coming.
1: Ming-Chi Kuo does one of these reports every year. He kind of just outlines everything he possibly knows onto a a document, (laughs) kind of just proceeds every month to update that document as he goes. This is kind of the basis for a lot of the rumors every year. But this time, I guess, yeah, he he kind of went wild and just went three years into the future.
0: He did, (laughs) including SE models, possible folding phones. So let's go through a year by year. I'll hit the high level, probably the most interesting stuff. Encourage you to to check out the article. I'll link to it in the show notes if you want to read all the details. But talking about the iPhone 13, which would be the 2021 model. So whatever's coming out this September, you know, we're about six, seven months away from that. The iPhone 13, you know, I'm curious, do you think it's going to be 13 or 12S? You know, interesting. we went from 11 to 12, no 11S. And are we done with S's or we think we're going to have like whole numbers from now on?
1: What do you think? Well, it's definitely strange because... Apple's kind of hit and miss on the S cycles lately. They skipped the 7S and went straight to 8 and 10. Then we had the 10S. Yeah, so here, here we are again at a juncture where it could be, couldn't be, maybe. 13 is just a weird number. Mike Wertherly and I, uh, we argue over this, how culturally <laughs> important the number 13 might be. There was an iPhone 4, and that's terrible in China. So oh. 13 being superstitious in the United States and other you know countries, it's, it has a significance, but I still don't think it's significant enough to just skip the number 13.
0: I don't think so. The only number we've skipped so far is 9, because we had 6, we had 7, we had 8, and then 10, Roman numeral, and then 11, Arabic numeral. <laughs> so we, we missed 9, but that was the only one we've skipped in the history of iPhone. Phone.
1: Samsung did the thing where it suddenly went to 20 um, and, uh, it, it, well, and that's mostly because they just aligned with the years. Right. I don't think we realized that at first where it's why 20 what in the world but yeah they're just doing the year thing now. Apple could do something similar whether it's like here's the 2021 iPhone and just go from there. I personally would like that better than an arbitrary number or letter but we'll see.
0: And you know I've, I've heard other Apple podcasts talk about this like in other lines like MacBooks and even iPads, there's not really an, a numeral denomination besides the year. You know, it's the 2020 iPad Pro, the 2018 iPad Pro, it'll be the 2020 you know, MacBook Pro or late 2020. And so when or if the iPhone will go that way. And what I've heard the argument, and I, and I understand it, is from a marketing perspective – The iPhone is obviously the biggest seller that Apple has. You know, it's their biggest product. The fact that they release one every year, they kind of need people to quickly be able to say what the newest one is and be able to kind of distinguish, okay, what number are we on? Like, what is the newest model? And saying the year, you know, the year would get old pretty quickly. The iPhone 12 right now would be the iPhone late 2020 model. And that sounds old. So I feel like it it would have to be a long time before Apple goes to like a year denomination to separate iPhones. And I also think with the S cycle, because people like Samsung and other phone makers are kind of just using the whole numbers and getting really high, like, you know, the S21 Ultra, I think that the whole number change might be why, you know, Apple might do that from a marketing perspective. So it's just clearly the next model. There's no 12, 12S, it's just 12. 13, 14, it might be about time they do that.
1: What if uh, Apple does the car thing and just says, here's the 2022 iPhone and, and this year, skip ahead a year.
0: Oh, <laughs> that, that is true. I mean, because it is basically for the coming year, you know, most people who get an iPhone, you know, don't get it on day one. So they would be getting it in the 2021 year. So yeah, maybe, but then also when it comes to, selling older models at a cheaper price or even if they are keeping something like the iphone i think i mean the 11 is still in the lineup now you can still buy it directly from apple would they want people to have to say oh give me the 2019 iphone or the 2020 iphone that's why i feel like with the i think we're a long way from going to a year designation i think it's gonna be whole numbers
1: names are hard in this space i mean macs and ipads they're delineated by their screen size and right. I, I don't think customers are going to the store and saying like a year name. I think they're just saying, I want the newest one with this size and that's about it. That's true. iPhone I guess, yeah, you're right, like it being just a pure marketing scheme uh, it falls into being able to say very quickly and easily, this is the phone I want and it's the one that came out this year. Honestly though, speaking to some non-tech people, some people don't even realize what phone they have. They're, oh, I think it's the 6, maybe the 7, I don't know. <laughs> that is true. Maybe even then it's just completely broken. I mean, as long as it's the iPhone, I think No one really cares. Me personally, I would love to see an iPhone, iPhone Pro, and no number, and that's it. And just, you know, us nerds can describe it by year, but everyone else just isn't going to care.
0: Well, let's talk about the actual rumors. So Ming-Chi Kuo said iPhone 13, whatever model that is called, coming out September 2021, September, October fall 2021 that it'll finally get the ProMotion 120 hertz display which has been rumored many times before the iPad Pro already has it so that seems expected and an upgraded six-piece ultra-wide camera so the ultra-wide camera would get a big update this year not much else but that's the iPhone 13. Then he also said an iPhone SE an updated model will come out in the first half of 2022. So that'd be basically a year from now, it would come out with a new iPhone SE. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Wes, but this this iPhone SE would be Face ID style iPhone, no longer the Touch ID style.
1: I think the design, yes, but I think uh, we would still have Touch ID, but in a side button.
0: Oh, okay. That's that's not something Minchi Quo said though.
1: You're calling it out? Yeah, that's just an assumption I'm making based on how they handled the iPad um, Air. Oh. I just don't I don't see unless Face ID really is just that cheap by that point. I mean, it could be uh, very easily as we get into more of these Quo rumors, we're talking about Face ID coming down the line, adding more technology like more biometric recognition and stuff like Touch ID under the display and stuff. So maybe Face ID just becomes the budget model.
0: Right, right. Well, moving forward to the iPhone, quote, 14, which would be the 2022 flagship model, he's saying that it'll go to a punch hole display design rather than a notch. Now, we've seen some Android phones have this already where there's no notch, there's no bar at the top, but it's actually just a small hole for the front-facing camera. So we could see that iPhone 14 in 2022. And then Ming-Chi Kuo also says possible Foldable phone. If Apple can get the manufacturing going and it can actually be, you know, a profitable business and actually could sell 2023, we might see something like that for a foldable iPhone. Again, I, I I find a foldable iPhone still hard to believe, but possible. And also that the flagship iPhone that comes that year, 2023. So we're talking years from this fall that it may have an under display fingerprint sensor and a periscope telephoto camera may be used And again this is very far out so reliability not sure but this is ming chi quote and he's saying it you know i think the punch hole style camera possible but I almost feel like there were some renders of the iPhone fourteen or whatever circling around online and it was basically a notchless iPhone. And obviously that's the goal. You know, I'm sure Apple is trying to get to that notchless, punch holeless front display, you know, with just totally edge to edge display. Surely that's the goal. So I imagine maybe by 2023, we could see something like that.
1: The punch hole design, I, I hate it. I, I absolutely despise it. But um, <laughs> people people talk about the notch getting in the way or whatever of content, but you're talking about a hole centered in the screen or on the side, left or right side where the content is. I mean, the notch at least is a is above it out of the way, you know? So that that's how I view it. Right. If a video is a aspect ratio wide enough, it could enter into the punch hole. I don't want a punch hole in my videos. So <laughs> the, the design, that part, I'm not sure where that's coming from. This is, again, a supply chain analyst, so he's looking at what, like, Samsung and other companies are doing. Maybe Samsung's ramping up the creation of those displays, and he's just inferring. Who knows? But I just don't see Apple doing it for one reason. Uh, Marketing. Again, Apple uses the front face of the iPhone and its marketing images, like designs and icons, Mm. and that notch cutout, or previously the Touch ID uh, button, was what said, this is an iPhone, What happens when the front display of iPhone looks identical to an Android phone? What is Apple going to do then?
0: That's true. And I agree. I don't see a punch hole coming to an iPhone. I feel like it would be weird, block certain content. The only thing I've ever seen a punch hole display be used for that was cool was someone did a Baymax wallpaper and made one of the punch holes a Baymax eye. That was it. That was the coolest
1: thing. Yeah, that's fun. Well, I, I mean, I've seen people make, uh, you know, Burton Ernie, the the Bert wallpaper with the eyebrow, oh, yeah, yeah. With, the, with the notch. That's pretty fun too. That is funny.
0: This episode is brought to you by Jamf. Now, I'm so excited that Jamf has come on because I have personally used Jamf in a corporate setting for five plus years. Jamf is an incredible tool to remotely manage Apple devices from Macs to iPads to iPhones. If you work in IT or you're in charge of Apple devices across a team, whether it's a small team with just a few devices or many, I've personally managed 50 plus devices using Jamf, and it is an incredible, I think the best tool for managing Apple devices from an IT standpoint. You know, all the companies, Apple, Microsoft, and Google have unique workflows to provision, encrypt, and deploy enterprise technology. That's why the idea of some unified endpoint management system has not worked successfully. But as Apple devices continue to grow, organizations doing bring your own devices, so people are bringing their iPhones and iPads to work, the need to provide Apple-dedicated tools for IT and security has never been greater. Jamf is the only Apple enterprise management solution that covers everything you need to connect, manage and secure Apple devices for your organization without negatively impacting the end user experience or requiring an IT department to even touch the device. And that's important. Sometimes some provisioning softwares and other companies, that end user gets a worse experience. Maybe some profiles doing something in the background, slowing down your device, and that never happens with Jamf. My experience using it across devices, Macs, iPads, and iPhones, the end user has an incredible experience and the management tools on the admin side are second to none. You can deploy a shrink-wrapped Apple device straight from the factory to your staff. You can just ship it to them wherever they are and when it arrives, they unbox it, power it on, and get right to work and the settings and profiles that you've set up in Jamf automatically get applied. Jamf makes access to business critical applications a seamless experience with single username and password. Just imagine the reduction in password resets for your IT team. Finally, while most security tools are created with Windows in mind, you can be assured Jamf's sole focus is on protecting your Macs and Apple devices. And with a history of same day support for Apple OS releases, your devices will be secure no matter when your users update. More than 40,000 organizations rely on Jamf to keep devices connected, up-to-date, and secure while ensuring users have the resources they need and the world-class Apple experience they know, love, and expect. I've been using Jamf for years, way before they ever thought about sponsoring this episode, and it is an incredible tool for device management. I highly recommend you try it out. For Apple Insider listeners, unlock the power of Apple and Jamf today with a free 14-day trial. Try it totally for free. To get started, go to jamf.it slash Apple Insider. That's J-A-M-F dot I-T slash Apple Insider. There's also a link in the show notes and in the article on the website. Again, I highly recommend you check it out. jamf.it slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Jamf for sponsoring this episode. Well, some of the other rumors that were coming is that the iPhone will not get USB-C basically ever, but that if it goes to anything, it would be a MagSafe-style port. Apple has this patent out there, and there's an image, I'll put it as the chapter art, but it kind of shows a MagSafe-style connector, like older MagSafe that you we used to have on the MacBooks and MacBook Pros. But this MagSafe connector might connect to the iPhone rather than Lightning, but that USB-C is not coming. And then I also saw John Prosser, he was tweeting about, you know, if USB-C ever comes to the iPhone, he'll shave his eyebrows off or something. So it seems like everyone is agreed USB-C not coming to the iPhone. And that still makes me a little sad. I really wish it had.
1: Yeah. Prosser and a few others have been saying this for a while. It makes sense. And uh, Ming-Chi Kuo, he says that this is coming from the MFI program, the made-for-iPhone program. Right. Apple can't license USB-C in any way. So they would be going from a proprietary connector that they own and can charge money for to one that they can't license at all. And I don't see that being a big sticking point for Apple. I mean, it can't be that much money that they're gaining from it. But it is some money. Um so you know, Quo obviously goes that route, but Apple also has been investigating this like smart connector or MagSafe technology for a while. I mean, we've been seeing patents since the iPhone six era for a smart connector on an iPhone. So, yeah, I had to write. I wrote uh, the iPhone fourteen like explainer uh, over these past few days, and uh, it's it seems that Apple's tackling this from two different directions: the portless iPhone. Either we're going to get No Lightning port and just nothing. They're just yanking that out of there. And it's MagSafe to charge or wireless charging and data transfer over wireless. And that's it. That's all you get. And in that case, it seems Apple wants to... Just avoid cables altogether. If I guess diagnostics need to be done, there's been some investigation into hiding a port inside the SIM tray, uh, but that wouldn't be for uh-huh. you know users or anything. That'd be just for technicians, right? And then the other route would be what you mentioned is the uh, smart connector route, where we just slap a magnet on there, and data and power can get through it at a reasonable rate.
0: Yeah, and I will say for all that I have bemoaned USB-C not coming to the iPhone, I now have MagSafe chargers everywhere. I use MagSafe in my car. I have the Belkin 3-in-1 MagSafe charger by my bed. So I actually have not plugged a lightning cable into my iPhone for a while. There's been like one time I needed a fast charge because I was only going to be near an outlet for a short amount of time. So I needed a fast charge and that was the one time I broke out an anchor, like 30 watt fast charger with the USB-C to lightning cable. But that was once in like the last six months. So I'm living almost that portless life just doing MagSafe and I could see it working, and I could see Apple just not doing any kind of port eventually, you know, maybe just on the Pro models at first and then putting it throughout the line. So.
1: To just go along with what Quo was saying, I think uh, the best chain of events here for users, even though it might not um, sound great, especially for power users, is the completely portless, not even a magnet connector version because that gives us the chance now – you know, early adopters like us and maybe more tech savvy people in the next year to adopt MagSafe everywhere. right? And then Apple goes portless. No worries. You already have everything you need to have a portless iPhone versus, oh, here's the special new connector that isn't lightning that everyone has to buy now. And then everyone screams at the top of their lungs on the internet like they usually do.
0: Yeah. Okay. A rumor that came out is that a MagSafe battery that Apple will be releasing a first-party MagSafe battery that would attach to the back of your iPhone and charge it. Anchor just announced theirs. It's actually shipping this month. I have one coming from Amazon. So it's a battery pack. You charge it by USB-C, but when you want to charge your iPhone, you just Attach it to the back and MagSafe keeps it on there. So it's saying that Apple might be doing first-party versions. Prosser actually said on the podcast Genius Bar that Apple's working on two models, kind of a premium version and a regular version of this MagSafe battery pack, and that the premium version might support reverse charging, Now, I'm assuming that means you put it on the back of your iPhone, then maybe you could put some AirPods on top of it to charge those wirelessly. I don't imagine reverse charging means that your iPhone could charge the battery pack. I don't know why you would want to do that. You want juice in your iPhone. So I imagine that's what it means by reverse charging. But looks like apple might be developing that
1: yeah i'm definitely interested in this just like i think we mentioned previously there was another Magsafe battery pack rumor when i was on last time i definitely want it whatever apple makes here let me have it the only issue is is it's MagSafe. it gets hot you're going to be carrying it either in your hand or in your pocket and sure they're going to do thermal throttling to try and keep things cool but then your phone isn't charging as fast either so this isn't as optimized as say the apple smart battery case but i'm still here for it and these third-party solutions just aren't getting it for me. I'm I'm going to avoid those until Apple does something in the field.
0: Yeah. A couple other quick news and rumor things before we get to some bigger stories. The iMac 21 and a half inch supply seems to be dwindling. It seems that Apple has stopped producing the 512 gig and terabyte SSD configurations of the current 4K iMac, pointing to the fact that that refreshed iMac we talked about it on last week's episode, John Prosser had the renders that that iMac might be coming very soon maybe even this month, we'll see. But there's also a currently unavailable from Apple's website uh, with some of those models. Also, Apple released a tool that would actually allow users to move their iCloud photo library directly to Google Photos. I thought this was very interesting. You can go to the iCloud.com website, and we'll put a link in the show notes kind of explaining the step-by-step. But if you want to transfer your iCloud photo library to Google Photos, Apple has made a tool for you to do that. It won't include certain pieces of media like live photos, which is strange because by default, iPhones take Live photos. So it might not transfer all of your pictures and videos. It doesn't do like shared albums and stuff like that. But if you have a lot of pictures in your iCloud photo library and you want to either have a backup or you're thinking about transitioning to Android, you can use this tool to move your library over.
1: It's just another. Protection. I don't think Apple would have ever released this in a world without regulation. It's just another step from Apple mm. saying, hey, look at what we did. We made it easier for people to go to Android if they really want to. Or right. Apple Photos isn't as proprietary as it may have seen before. But yeah, it's just another move from Apple on that side of things.
0: Then this last thing I want to point out before we get to some bigger stories is that Apple actually just released a Apple for kids support site. And this is telling users how you can set up your devices using screen time, parental controls, how to set up a device from scratch for a child. So, Some pretty good resources there if you're just getting into that world or you need kind of some step-by-step instructions. It's a great page. We'll put a link to the show notes in it. One of the things that is notable, I had not found a place where they explicitly said this, but when it comes to Apple Watch, Apple released this kid's set up or at least apple watch set up from an iphone like from a parent iphone so a kid can use an apple watch without also having an iphone themselves if you set up an apple watch in that way and i've done that my oldest son we got him an apple watch sc for christmas and he uses that but he does not have all the apps and features that an apple watch has when you traditionally set it up paired to your personal iphone and on this Apple for Kids support website, if you click the watch information, it tells you what apps are not available to certain ages. I didn't realize if your child is 13 or 18, there will be different apps and features available when you set up an Apple Watch in this way. But the apps that are not available, and my kid doesn't have any of these on his Apple Watch SE, is irregular heart rhythm notifications, ECG is not available, Uh, cycle tracking, sleep, blood oxygen, and thing, even things like podcasts, the remote app, news, home, and shortcuts. Now, some of those, maybe I could understand. Things like home is strange because my child has an iPad and we just set them up with the home app so they can control some home devices and we can do the intercom and it actually goes to their devices. So it seems strange that like home and shortcuts aren't there. But the sleep thing was one of the big things because we wanted my son to be able to track his sleep. And it's unfortunate that you cannot track sleep when you have an Apple Watch set up For kids, that's not connected to an iPhone directly. If it's set up parent iPhone to kid Apple Watch, there is no sleep tracking available in addition to the other things I mentioned.
1: So what if you download something like Sleep Plus Plus? Can he track his sleep with that?
0: No, there's actually a lot of apps in the app store because he has the app store on the Apple Watch SE and he can download apps directly, but many apps, like not just a few, but there are actually many apps that throw up a warning that says this app requires an iPhone. Wow. And he is not able to download it. So like Sleep Plus Plus, there's a lot of games that are like this, which seems strange because you know, most of these games are either made for watch or don't really have an iPhone counterpart. He can't download it all. Uh, because he doesn't have an iPhone paired with it.
1: I believe this has, this has everything to do with it's the children's protection online or whatever. Uh, it might have a lot to do with that. I mean, it's still a little weird that you can't do sleep tracking or podcasts right yeah there 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 are a lot of rules surrounding children under the age of 13 they literally cannot have certain accounts according to law now they'd make them anyway i mean a lot of kids under 13 are probably on twitter they shouldn't be but apple just i think covering their butts here uh regulatory wise Uh, shortcuts maybe it's you can download, you know, third party, you know, non Apple shortcuts and stuff and home who knows that maybe the cameras, maybe it's just a prevention from getting the kids, uh, the ability to play with the light switches, who knows, but ha- having <laughs> right. no ability to, as a parent to toggle these on and off is a little strange. I, I can see what Apple's doing here. Cause also in like screen
0: time settings, in their ipad i can disable or enable apps like podcasts news safari and so the apps disappear from their device or i can enable it and i can even do that remotely from my iphone i can adjust their screen time settings over the iCloud so it is weird that at least i don't you know i don't even get the option because the apple watch that he has tracks all the normal fitness stuff you know he can do workouts it tracks calories and movement minutes and basically when you track sleep it's really just looking at heart information and movement so it doesn't make sense why you couldn't track sleep directly on the watch or at least have an ipad that you can maybe connect it to so it's unfortunate i hope apple does update that soon to give more of that functionality to kids apple watch
1: definitely a first generation product
0: oh yeah for sure and first generation like software feature like this just came out you know this past fall for sure this episode is brought to you by Startmail. As you probably know, free email services like Gmail and Yahoo, they're not really free you actually pay by giving your data to these big tech companies. And they have access to every email you send and receive. And once they have that information in your emails from both what you send and receive, they can sell that data to the highest bidder. If you send sensitive information through Gmail or Yahoo email, things like business plans or medical records, maybe even you're sending your social security info. I know it's tax time and you might be tempted to send some of that tax information to your accountant via email. But all that sensitive information is now in the hands of people like Google and Yahoo, and they can sell that data and then target you with intrusive ads, maybe even open you up to identity theft and phishing attacks. That's why I trust Startmail to secure my personal and business email. It helps me feel safe again and know that my data is not being sold to those big tech companies. Startmail keeps my email private, period. Every email is encrypted, even if the recipient doesn't use encryption, which means big tech can't read, scan, analyze, or sell my personal information, ever. StartMail also prevents government agencies from spying on you. And with StartMail, deleted means deleted. When you delete an email, it is gone forever. StartMail uses their own servers, not Amazon's like many other cloud service companies, which means they can't be put out of business like other companies that got shut down when Amazon shut down their Amazon web services. Looking at you, Parler. StartMail is also backed by the most stringent privacy laws in the world. You get unlimited anonymous aliases, which means you can create alias emails just for giving a specific business that you know you're going to be getting spam email from. Create as many aliases you want and use those aliases and give those out when you sign up for things. I set up Start Mail personally and it was an incredibly easy process and you can add all your devices. You can add your Start Mail via IMAP to your iPhone, your iPad, your Mac, and every device gets a unique login. So if you ever need to shut down access from one of your devices, you can do that Right from the Start Mail website. It's incredibly easy to use. It's well designed, and I know that my email is secure. So don't trust big tech companies with all your email data. Start securing your email privacy with Start Mail. Sign up today and you can get 50% off your first year. That is a whole half off that first year. Just go to startmail.com AI, just the letters AI. That's start mail with a T, S-T-A-R-T mail. Dot com slash AI for 50% off your first year. StartMail.com slash AI. Our thanks to StartMail for sponsoring this episode. So I wanted to touch on this story. We covered it on Apple Insider, but there was a gentleman on Twitter. His name is Dustin Curtis, and he tweeted saying that he forgot to update his Apple card auto pay, and that caused him to miss an Apple card payment. And because of that, Apple disabled his Apple ID. Now, that was like the (laughs) essence of the tweet. But as we've done research and the Apple Insider staff, and you actually have the the full article, so I I might let you explain a little bit more of it. But there was basically a long series of events from purchasing a new Mac to failing to send in the trade in to not updating bank information. There were a lot of steps in this story that caused Dustin Curtis to have his Apple ID locked, and it wasn't just as simple as you missed an Apple Card payment and Apple locks your Apple ID. That is actually not the case. So, it was maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about this.
1: Okay, so a little background. I first noticed this as it was happening on March 1st and we decided to ignore it, just keep an eye on it, because it didn't seem like it should be a story that means anything. It didn't make sense. The Apple Card isn't connected to your Apple ID. The two can't really be intertwined illegally. Uh, Apple doesn't have any documentation stating that they're even legally able to operate. They're, they're two different companies. Uh, Apple Card's run by Goldman mm. Sachs, and Apple's right. got some participation in it, but they're not legally attached to it in that way. And Apple ID, of course, is run by Apple. So having your Apple Card payments, disable your Apple ID. Not only does it sound wrong, it sounds dystopian,' it sounds, you know you, right. you get, go into debt into Apple and suddenly you can't iMessage your friend, you know it's right right it, it gets a little crazy. So at first glance, this just seemed wild, did some research into it, and it's actually very difficult to find documentation surrounding these things because I guess we were trying to prove a neg- uh, negative negative <laughs> rather than right. trying to prove something that we uh, know is factual. So long story short, this guy, the truth of the matter is purchased an M1 MacBook Pro through Apple's installment program. And this installment program allows you to make payments over time in order to pay for the MacBook. You can do this via Apple Card or other payment options. I wasn't aware of that. I originally thought the payment program was just Apple Card, but it seems that you can do it on other payment options as well. Anyway, he also traded in, or offered to trade in a MacBook Pro. And <laughs> I believe in this, you know, world where everything's done over online, you know, pandemic can't really go into an Apple store. Apple's changed some of their policies surrounding this. So, cause I've had a lot of people ask this question, Well, if it was a trade-in, how did he get credit for it? So Apple's been doing this thing with the Apple trade-in called Instant Credit, where he offers a machine, describes it, and gives its condition to Apple and Apple offers an amount right. to purchase it for, to for the trade-in. And they apply it directly to your payment plan for the new MacBook Pro. And that's an agreement. Right. You sign it legally saying that this is how this is going to go. Apple, in the trade-in policy, describes it. Once we receive the device, we're going to evaluate it. And if it is up to the condition that you described... Nothing happens. Right. You've already you're already paying your payments. Everything's been decided. We're good to go. But if Apple decides that it is in worse wear and changes the value of the product, then they apply a charge to your account to make up the difference. That's that's the whole process. Right. Well, Dustin Curtis, I guess he received his. MacBook Pro and then forgot that he did a trade-in policy and claims that Apple never sent him the trade-in kit, which is plausible. Apple may have stumbled there or the mailing system just lost it. Who knows? All we know is he never got his trade-in kit and then he missed subsequent emails, phone calls from Apple, and simultaneously to compound the issue, he had also changed his banking information in January, causing his Apple card payments to stop. He was completely unaware of not turning in the MacBook Pro or the MacBook trade-in, and he was unaware of his Mac, of his Apple card payments not going through. So ultimately by mid-February, his Apple ID payments had stopped. He was no longer able to access the App Store or iTunes, right. and he was getting alerts saying that he needed to contact Apple Support. So he connected the dots in his head and, and said, oh, my Apple card is delinquent. Therefore, Apple disabled my Apple ID. And that is not exactly what happened there.
0: Right. That's a jump in logic. And Apple had a statement, you know, we included it in our article. Basically, the course of events that Wes just described, Apple did not disable his Apple ID because of missed Apple card payments.
1: To be perfectly clear, the reason why the Apple IDs, um, iTunes and App Store payment processings were stopped was solely because of the trade-in program. Right. The program saw that he was delinquent and that he had not sent in the device and he had not been paying for the new device. So, like any Apple payment program or um iTunes any subscription even, Apple will stop your um Apple ID payment processings from working until you either update your credit card information so payments can go through or you catch up on your current situation and he did neither.
0: Right. And I will- say i have not done a mac trade-in but i am on the apple iphone upgrade program where you do send in your old iphone in the past two i think three years i've done where it ships the new iphone to my house it comes on launch day they do great at that and then the trade-in kit comes a couple days later and i send my old iphone back to apple now because It deals with a Citizens One like installment loan. It's basically like a 0% interest loan. There's nothing going to a credit card and there's no payment from a bank account. And so what happens is once they receive my old iPhone, the old Citizens One loan gets like canceled or closed out. I get an email saying your loan has ended or it's been closed because we received your trade in. You're good to go. Enjoy the new phone and the payments continue for the new phone. But I will say there has been a few years where I will send back the trade-in. And it you know it comes in a nice box. They, Apple gives you everything you need to send it back and even a little sticker tapes to close the cardboard box. And I've sent it back and tracked it because I'm like, I want to make sure this thing gets back to Apple. And there was one year where my tracking number suddenly just kind of stopped working. It never said delivered. And it said it was still like somewhere, not sure where. And I was getting a little nervous so i was like if this thing gets lost in the mail like what happens then like i'm not really sure what happens listeners if you've ever had an experience where a trade in got lost in the mail i'd be curious how apple handles that but thankfully like a week later I got an email saying, Hey, we got your old iPhone, your loan is canceled. And I was like, Oh phew, great. You know, so whatever the happened with the tracking numbers, it just stopped tracking it. And you know, that happens, especially when we ship a lot of stuff in America. So I, I get it. But there is like that sense of like unease where is this trade in gonna make it? And especially if you're doing a trade in with a MacBook Pro, you might be dealing with a larger ticket item pre-pandemic, I usually preferred to go to a store, especially with the iPhone or if I was trading in anything, because you could just hand them your device. If you go to the Apple store to pick up your new iPhone, even on launch day, you literally just hand them your old iPhone and the trade-in process happens all in store. You don't have to mail anything away. So it's nice to know it's like in Apple's hands and they mark it as received and you see it go into the back of the store. But the trade-in at least in my experience, has worked well every time. Listeners, I'd love to hear if you ever have an issue with this.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll note that, uh, listeners, I've, I've been through the Reddits and Twitters and seen every side angled comment on this. I promise you – We've, we've done our research. Go read the trade-in policy. It's terrible, but it describes it in detail exactly what happened to poor Mr. Curtis. If you want a little side tangent here, speaking of mail getting lost, I've done iPhone trade-in programs um, while in the military, and you can imagine. Now, this was uh, through the carrier, not Apple itself, but same concept, um, mail in your phone. And I remember getting a call from Verizon returning from what we called underways. It wasn't a deployment, but you're out at sea for maybe a a few weeks, if not a month or more. Sometimes you'll get mail while you're out to sea. And the way they get the mail on the ship is by connecting it to a cable underneath a helicopter (laughs) and dragging a pallet of objects across to the boat, or even better, to ships get side by side and they connect a like cabling system between them and just slide the pallet across via a hook Oh my word <laughs> And let me tell you on deployment 2014 these shiny new PlayStation 4s were arriving to the carrier and I'm pretty sure an entire crate of PlayStations ended up in the ocean. Oh. So yes, uh, mail can disappear from time to time, be it a, in the ocean or, you know, <laughs> the usual. But I've actually had a few times with Verizon applying six, seven, eight hundred dollars to my account because my phone showed up two or three days after they were expecting it, and then they just credit it back to my account. No big deal.
0: Wow. That is stress.
1: <laughs> I can't imagine. I can't imagine. I've helped with those... Um, maneuvers where we get a bunch of packages from another ship and yeah it's it's pretty terrifying seeing just boxes it's just a big crate wrapped in plastic floating over the ocean for about two a minute and a half coming to you and it's just oh wow
0: (laughs) man okay that's unique This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep. Listen, I know some of you are sleeping on some old saggy mattress at night, and you deserve better. Getting a good night's rest is so conducive to actually being productive the next day, working in creative fields, just being able to focus as you're working. And to get a good night's sleep, you need a great mattress. And most mattresses, they're kind of generic you either buy a size and maybe get a foam top or whatever but why not get a mattress that's actually made specifically for your body type and how you sleep that's the difference with helix mattresses helix sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you everybody's unique helix knows that so they have several different mattress models to choose from they have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattresses great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. That's me. Even a Helix Plus mattress for plus size folks. So I took the Helix quiz. You give it your height, your weight, whether you're a side sleeper or a back sleeper. I personally sleep on my side and I wanted a medium mattress, not soft, not firm, just kind of right in the middle like Goldilocks. You know what I'm saying? And once I told Helix how I sleep and my body type, they actually recommended the helix plus for me and i have to say the kind of sleep that i have gotten on the helix mattress beats any other mattress i've tried and i've done other internet mattresses before and the helix mattress is the best so if you're looking for a mattress take the quiz you order the mattress that you're matched to and the mattress comes right to your door it's shipped for free you don't ever need to go to a mattress store again but don't take my word for it helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by both GQ and Wired Magazine. So go to helixsleep.com slash Insider. take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress, and you can get the best sleep of your life. And they also have a 10-year warranty, and you can try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but I know that you will helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners just go to helixsleep.com slash apple insider that's h-e-l-i-x sleep.com slash apple insider to get up to $200 off your mattress order and two free pillows our thanks to helix sleep for sponsoring this episode well, I wanted to touch on an Apple Store experience. I actually brought some Macs in for a Genius Bar appointment, first time in a while. And I won't go into great detail. I'll put a link in the show notes if you'd like to read it. I took some pictures as I was at the Apple Store. This was a Apple Store in a mall. This is Brandon Town Center Mall in Central Florida. And... Going to an Apple store is just a very different experience. You know, if you went to an Apple store pre-pandemic, it was tons of people and you can go up and just try any device, type on the laptops, hold an iPhone if you wanted to. And it was nice, especially if you were in the market for a new iPhone and maybe you wanna know, how big does the iPhone 12 mini fit in my hand? And no picture can really communicate that to you, but you don't get those kinds of experiences now. You know, if you wanna go to the Apple store, you really, you need an appointment. I mean, it is basically required. Even if you just wanna shop for something, They have personal shopping appointments. They have express pickup appointments. So if you just want to buy something and pick it up, you could do that. And then they have the Genius Bar Reservations. There is lots and lots of plexiglass around the Apple store. And when I went, they really relegated it to just four, maybe five customers tops towards the front of the store on just a couple tables. And every station where a customer was working with an Apple representative, it was totally incredible encased in plexiglass. The only opening between me and the representative was a small like mail slot basically at the bottom where I could slide the MacBooks in that needed repair. The repairs are delayed. There's like a factory in Texas because of the snow that has been slow and I had a MacBook Air with a faulty spacebar and that's kind of a delayed repair but they're doing their best and you know they're being very careful taking all the precautions but going to an Apple store is not the same kind of energy it used to have, I'll just say that. There's a lot of waiting too. Even if you have an appointment, my appointment was like for 12.05 and I still waited in line till like 12.45. Like it was, I was in line for about 30 to 40 minutes with just three people ahead of me. But because they're really spacing out those appointments and trying to address just four to five people at a time, it is a, it's a slow process. So anyway, I got pictures in there. You could check it out in the show notes.
1: Yeah, I, I've been to Brandon. It's it's one of those outskirt towns that's basically Jacksonville, right? It's just another... <laughs> it's,
0: it's Tampa adjacent. Or that's that's it, Tampa.
1: I, I couldn't remember which big Florida city it was, but yes, it's basically the neighborhood outside of Tampa, right? That's
0: exactly right. Yes.
1: Yeah, Brandon's cool. Apple Store's opening in the pandemic. It's, it, it's interesting. I remember last year when we were still saying Memorial Day, it'll be over. It's fine. We went and visited... Uh, an Apple store after it it reopened. And it was all those lines and uh, masks and everything. And uh, this experience sounds much different from that because, yeah, the plexiglass city just uh, (laughs) kind of wild. Yeah. We also wrote, I guess, about the uh, 270 Apple stores in the United States, finally opening for the first time since March last year.
0: Right. All the Apple stores in the U.S. are open. And I will say, depending on your Apple store, appointments might be a long way off. For the Brandon Apple store, it was a week in advance. I had to make an appointment and the earliest one they had was a week later. There were some stores like... The Tampa International Mall, which is a much larger Apple store, had some earlier appointments, but it was a little farther. So, you know, if you are in need of a Genius Bar appointment, especially, uh, you're going to have to wait for a little bit. If you're doing express pickup, that has been very fast. I mean, while I was waiting in line for half an hour, there was three or four people that came. They said they had express pickup. They show their phone. You get a little like Apple Wallet Pass. They bring out the Apple bag to you. You don't even go in the store if you're doing Express Pickup. They bring the bag out to you and you just walk away. So if you want to do Express Pickup because you just want something today and it's not shipping fast enough. The express pickup works pretty well. It's really the genius bar and personal shopping that are more time consuming events.
1: Apple says open, but there are three versions of open right now. Right. Uh, cur- curbside pickup, which is not really open. You can just buy things and they bring it out to you. Right. Um, storefront or like you mentioned, express. The storefront is you. there's an Apple store with people waiting outside and you can kind of make appointments or not. The express ones are funny and I don't know where they are, but I've seen pictures of them. And and it's like plexiglass bench, uh, like a newspaper stand where, where people hand you um, Apple products out of a small window. Uh, those are pretty funny looking. If you haven't seen pictures of those, there's somewhere on our site. Yes. And then there's the fully open with you know, with health management, which is what you encountered in Brandon. Gotcha. You can check your local Apple store listings in like Apple Maps. It'll tell you how open it is. We have an Apple store tracker on Apple Insider that's mostly up to date. It's kind of hard to keep up with all 270 stores, but it'll get you where you need to go.
0: We wanted to touch on Clubhouse. We've mentioned it before and I sent some invites to people. Then I ran out of invites and you know, it's kind of the talk everywhere and Twitter is doing their Twitter spaces trying to compete with Clubhouse. Instagram has announced that it might do a live room with audio type thing. So this live audio thing is happening. You know, it's, it's very popular. But there's some serious privacy concerns when it comes to Clubhouse. Friend of the show, Jason Aten, he actually wrote an article for Inc Outlining the different things that Clubhouse does that are pretty shady. So if you are interested in getting involved in Clubhouse or signing up for it, again, you need an invite still. It's not a public open thing. You need an invite. But what's shady about Clubhouse is if you get an invite and you Get in the app. You create your account. If you want to send an invite to someone else, you are required to give Clubhouse access to your contacts.
1: The contacts thing, someone actually sniffed this out. I believe actually it might have been one of the ATP guys. They're only collecting phone numbers and names but still not great. Clubhouse doesn't have to actually do this in order to no. connect people to each other. Apparently they could just they could collect the same contact data, hash the phone number and then connect people, but they're collecting the plain phone number information and storing it that way which isn't great.
0: Yes, it's a privacy concern. From a startup standpoint, it's a great strategy because when you go into Clubhouse, Clubhouse tells you, look at all these people you know that have signed up. And because they know the phone numbers in your contacts, they know that you know this person and this person signed up with that phone number. So shady there. But in addition to the whole contact sharing and them getting the phone numbers from your contacts, Clubhouse is also recording the audio in the different rooms. They say that they don't keep the audio, but if there's ever a report about something happening in a room that's inappropriate for investigative purposes, they will keep the recording from that room. So that's a little weird. That wasn't... That's not expressly surfaced when you sign up for Clubhouse. You also can delete information that other people have shared about you again, like your phone number. So if Wes is in my contacts and I allow clubhouse access to my contacts, they have Wes's info. Wes never gave permission to share his contact info, but now clubhouse has it again, a little shady. You can delete your account directly. You have to contact clubhouse. And also they're doing some tracking stuff with all that, all that to say, if you want to try Clubhouse, understand there are some privacy and security implications, but overall, let me ask you, Wes, have you tried Clubhouse? Have you been in there?
1: I haven't yet. Um, I'm interested. I just, I don't like the the privacy concerns. I, from what I understand, it's pretty simple for them to fix and they just haven't yet. A startup mentality or not, it's not okay we don't need another Facebook running around, but right. everything I've heard about it, it's either depending on who you talk to, it's either a train wreck that doesn't make sense or it's the coolest, coolest thing that's ever happened to the internet. <laughs> um, I just think it's a bunch of phone calls, but, uh,
0: <laughs>
1: it's a group, group phone chats. Yeah.
0: For me, you know, I, I'm like, Oh, right. Clubhouse is the thing. Let me see what's going on. And when I open the app nine times out of 10, there is not something that I'm interested happening right then. Like there's just not a room that Speaks to my interests. And I have seen some people say, hey, we scheduled a Clubhouse thing. It's going to come out at this point. The all-consuming podcast with Adam Lissagore and Noah Kalina, they do like this post-episode thing on Clubhouse. So the episode comes out Monday morning. They do a Clubhouse in the evening and, you know, invite anybody who can come. That's a cool idea, but I feel like I still prefer podcast because I can listen to it whenever I want. And I want to listen to the whole thing.
1: The live nature of it is interesting, right? I don't know how I feel about it because you can't rewind. It's not, you can't go back and listen to what someone just said. You either hear it or you miss it and it's gone forever. Uh, Well, it's in clubhouse servers, but we're not going to talk about that
0: (laughs) temporarily. Yeah. And it's one of those things where you you mentioned ATP, like they live stream their recording they use you know proprietary streaming you can just listen to the audio and that's that technology's been around forever but then you can actually download the ATP podcast later and unfortunately unless the people in Clubhouse record themselves talking during the live room there's not a way to like make a podcast out of that conversation later and i feel like for it to really have wider appeal like there's been some conversations i'd be curious to know what they talked about but there's no, there's no recording of it and there's no like Clubhouse archive or, you know, Clubhouse, you know, follow the this podcast in Clubhouse. And I, l- l- let me be clear. I don't want Clubhouse to become a podcast hosting distribution service like Spotify or something. Don't want that. Not saying that. But I just found it for me. I don't see things readily that I care for when I first open the app. The few scheduled events has not been... You know, I've not been able to make it or really hear it. So not appealing to me just yet. But, you know, listeners, I did send out some invites last time until I ran out. So I'd be curious how your guys' experience has been. If you think this is great or if you found rooms that you really like, I'd be curious to know your experience.
1: Yeah, you, you, William, and I should get on a clubhouse and argue over who's going to buy William uh, an iPad.
0: <laughs> that would be great. Listen, I, I, I'm i up for it. I, I want to try it. I, I've not done like a broadcasted room, but maybe we should try it and we can, we can let our, our – Twitter people know. This episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. There are a ton of VPN providers out there, and you've probably heard of a couple of them. And some you may have even used as a VPN before. But I do my research on my sponsors, and I only recommend brands to listeners that I believe in and that I've also personally used. And I can say with full confidence that ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. Here's why. ExpressVPN doesn't log your data. Lots of other cheap or free VPNs will make money by selling your data to ad companies and ExpressVPN never does that. They have a technology called trusted server that makes it impossible for their servers to log any of your info. Second of all is speed. I've tried multiple VPNs in the past and some of them slow down your connection. Maybe you can't even stream video using that VPN. But I've been using ExpressVPN for several years now and my internet speeds are blazing fast regardless of what device I'm using ExpressVPN on. And I can stream HD quality videos with zero lag. What also sets ExpressVPN apart from the other VPNs is how easy it is to use. Unlike other VPNs, you don't have to input or program anything, there's no profile to install. You just fire up the app, Click one button to connect. It's so easy, even your grandparents could do it. And it's not just me saying this. Wired, The Verge, CNET, and many other tech experts rate ExpressVPN the number one in the world. So protect yourself with the VPN that I use and trust personally. Use our link expressvpn.com slash appleinsider today and get an extra three months for free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash appleinsider. Visit expressvpn.com slash appleinsider to learn more. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode. All right, well, a couple lightning round things here at the end. I have to mention this Peak Design. I use the Peak Design Everyday Backpack. Peak Design makes great products for backpacks, bags, different kinds of things like that, especially for photographers and tech people. And Peak Design did this incredible thing where they called out Amazon because Amazon released an Amazon Basics product. This is Amazon's own brand called the Everyday Sling. And it is a very, very clear knockoff of the Peak Design Everyday Sling. And so Peak Design made an entire video calling them out, doing this hilarious role-playing thing as if they were like the Amazon product developers. And they just killed it. And also, it is so slimy that Amazon does this. I've seen this happen multiple times. The Away suitcase brand ran into this several years ago where Amazon basically released an Amazon Basics suitcase that looked just like Away, but a lot cheaper. They did it here with the sling bag from Peak Design. And again, other companies have seen this where companies sell their products on Amazon and then all of a sudden, Amazon comes out with an Amazon Basics product that looks like it, not up to the quality that Peak Design or Away is doing, but looks just like it. And it is just slimy from Amazon's perspective. Peak Design has really been hammering them on Twitter, like mentioning Jeff Bezos and all this kind of stuff. But I will put a link to the YouTube video in show notes because it is just hilarious. And kudos to Peak Design for calling them out.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a really funny video, but you want to talk about regulating antitrust or whatever. This is This is the perfect example. If I go on Amazon right now and search Peak Design, what am I going to see? You know, right. Amazon recommended Amazon basics peak design for whatever, twenty dollars. Yeah, exactly. And right under it, peak design bag for a hundred and some dollars. Well, I'm not gonna buy that. That's crazy. Right. You know, exactly. Completely insane.
0: All right, so someone made an iMac. You put this in the notes, and it is hilarious. It's an iMac Turducken, which is basically an M1 Mac Mini. And this YouTuber, Luke Miani, he took the motherboard from an M1 Mac Mini, shoved it into a 2011 old iMac, jerry-rigged the display cable with an HDMI to display connector adapter, and now basically has an M1 inside of an old iMac. It's kind of hilarious. Wes had the article. I'll put a link in show notes, but I kind of wish he would have done it with like a 4K or 5K iMac. I feel like that would have been a better computer, but he did it with a 2011 and it it is a Turducken for sure.
1: I think the space requirements is why he, well, that and he oh. just happened to have a 2011 lying around, but sure, sure, I sure, mean, sure. we're still talking about fitting an entire motherboard inside of a casing and the... 21-inch and 27-inch iMacs that are sold today are much smaller than the 2011 iMac. Right, for sure.
0: All right, well, Ted Lasso actually won a Golden Globe Award. It's the Apple TV Plus original show. Jason Sudeikis, he won the best performance by an actor in a television series for his performance as Ted Lasso. And I would just say well-deserved, and it's pretty cool to see Apple TV Plus, pretty new service, new streaming, new content, already won a Golden Globe. So pretty cool. And last thing before one listener feedback, I don't know if you saw this, Wes, but there is circling around the internet and TikTok. I think it came from TikTok originally, but a Tom Cruise deepfake video. And if you don't know a listener what a deepfake video is, it's someone, basically an actor that looks close to the actor they're trying to portray. So some person that looks a little bit like Tom Cruise and then using computer graphics and engineering, making the actor look just like Tom Cruise. It is a scarily accurate portrayal of what, Like Tom Cruise. Like it really looks like Tom Cruise in this deepfake video. All the implications we don't have time to get into about like the future of video and truth and all this stuff. But it is a wild video. And I recommend listeners check out the tweet link in show notes if you want to watch it.
1: The the biggest problem with these videos is the actor... Uh, portraying tom cruise is much too tall they need uh they need someone a little bit shorter
0: <laughs> but he does get tom cruise's mannerisms pretty spot on
1: oh it's great yeah yeah whatever yeah whatever this guy impressions or whatever because the deep fakes i think there might be an audio component am i am i correct so there's
0: i think they do try to make the voice yeah yeah there's sound some like sort, the sort of actor.
1: modulation there but yeah he he does a really good job with the mannerisms and everything too Yeah, it's pretty wild.
0: Well, the last thing I want to mention, I actually had a listener, Christopher, email me. I talked about the weird iPhone 11 MagSafe case, which wasn't really an iPhone 11 case at all, because I was trying to get MagSafe capabilities to my wife's iPhone 11. And he sent me this product. This is by MagEasy. It is called a MagDoka, or MagDoka, M-A-G-D-O-K-A. I'll put a link in show notes. But it's this $25 puck that will adhere to the back of an iPhone or even the case of an iPhone. And it'll basically then line up your iPhone with a MagSafe charger and it will stick to it because it's the MagDocca little puck thing that you stick to the back of your case has the magnet on it. And then if you want to use a MagSafe charger or a MagSafe Duo charger and your phone lines up correctly, it seems like this would work. You do have to stick this thing on the back of your phone. It's two millimeters thin. So it's pretty thin, but you will have this puck looking thing on the back of your phone. So it's not exactly a clean look, but this is the closest thing that I have found to adding MagSafe to older phones. So thanks Christopher for pointing that out. It's pretty interesting. Well, listeners, thanks for joining us this week. Don't forget, to tweet at Wes and myself. Let us know what you think about Clubhouse, the iPhone rumors, and anything else. We'd love to hear from you. You can also email me. That is in show notes. Don't forget to check out HomeKit Insider. That podcast comes out every Monday about smart home and home kit devices apple insider daily get the top headlines in just a few minutes every day in just a few minutes and if you haven't yet we'd greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review an apple podcast there have been several of you doing that every week and we greatly appreciate it thanks for joining us this week we'll catch you next time